Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at Smash underscore ASD on Twitter. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as we get a word from our sponsor. Yes, yes. One moment, one moment, and I'll give you some good words here, man. Some great words. As Jeff said, this podcast is awesome. Well, he didn't really say that, but that's what I'm saying right now. So uh, this podcast is sponsored by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia at 301 South Main Street, Suite 107, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. You can follow Main Street Pharmacy on Twitter at at Main Street Farm. That's at Main Street Farm. So we have a brand new guest tonight on the podcast. Have you seen uh, Jeff? Have you seen Tristan log in yet? Because I haven't seen him on my on my end. Uh, well, I don't see him in just yet. Okay, so let me just give our introduction. Let me let me check and see if we have some. Te- te- let me check and see if he can get in uh, here. Just a moment. One moment. I've asked him if he can. If I've asked him if he can connect, and it looks like he's here with us. Tristan, are you here with us, buddy? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh man, All we're right. thrilled to have you. <laughs> we're thrilled to have you. I was about to give you. I'm here to give you the plug of your lifetime, man, because we're always happy to have. Uh, we're always happy to have new guests on this. And, we, and I was saying earlier, we have a brand new guest on the podcast. We're always excited to get new voices on here. Tristan Freeman is the owner and operator of the fan-sided blog. It's a, but I should say busting brackets. That's the one where he's the owner and operator. And you can follow that account at, at busting brackets. You can follow Tristan on Twitter at, at hoops, not three, five, one. Again, that's at hoops, not three, five, one. And we're about here. What? Uh, what? One, one, one moment, and let me just say something real quick. Real quick. Uh, if you can put your if if you can put yourself on mute, Tr- uh, Tristan, right now, that you'll see something in the bottom corner, uh, but uh, on your foot. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. We're we're still learning at this at this. Uh, <laughs> Jeff and I switched to a new a new podcast provider, and we're still learning here. And sometimes we get interference if we don't do that. So you'll have to. Yeah, we we use this we we use talk shoe talk shoe for years, and then it started failing on us. And, and we're a little older than you, and we probably had to go and learn how to use use new software. So we we appreciate your help here, man. So Tristan, you you are one of the best basketball writers we follow on Twitter. I mean, by far. And I'm just coming out here and saying that you have extensive knowledge, and we're thrilled to have you on the podcast. And we want you to come back whenever you have time for us. And we just want to give you a chance to plug everything. Tell us about yourself, like where you went to school, your print media background. Yeah, I mean, you have an extensive background. You've been on several podcasts and radio shows with appearances. You, you know, you've been on fans the fan sided blog for a while. You've got credentials, from what I understand, at three different Pittsburgh institutions. You're writing on a national basis, Tristan. 
man, the floor is yours. I want you to give you an opportunity to plug anything that you're doing now into the site and anybody that's working with you. Thank yeah, no, thank you for the gracious intro. I'm happy to be on. And yeah, you know, as far as my background goes, it's really not too much to speak of. I didn't go to journalism school. I did a little bit of uh, high school newspaper for sports, but that was really for a class that for first period, that wasn't too much. Uh, for me, I got started uh, writing when I was doing security a few years back when I was just looking for something to do during downtime. And I just, the hope was, you know, make enough money to pay for a cell phone bill. And I was in a uh, fan side, it was able to give me an opportunity to write. And I just went from there, just kept writing as much as possible when it comes to game previews and not because I've, I've always been a basketball fan in general of all kinds, NBA, college, even high school, whatnot. But college has sort of been my, my forte, especially going back over a decade ago when the Pitt Panthers was really in their limelight. And I just had a thing for writing. Never was really a great writer, but I had ideas and had opinions and was able to put it on paper. And it's just been a slow grind ever since for a few years having – a platform fan sided to work on and meeting people uh, slowly and developing connections and whatnot. And this past summer, I was uh, I, I was uh, advised that I should think about possibly going to games and covering them. And I had no idea how that was going to work because I had no idea how the process was to do that. But it was a lot easier than I expected. And I was able to get credentials for the three local D1 programs Pitt, Duquesne, or Robert Morris. And this year alone has been an incredible experience being able to experience the games and the coaching staffs and the players up close and see how those programs are doing. Who you all got working with you right, right over there right now? I mean, because you have, you have a stable of writers that are working with you. Yes, sir. Well, we've we've had writers uh, in and out over the years. Uh, you know, for a while it was me and, and my friend Lucas Harkins that was running it. He's over a heat check now, but we we still have a quality stable of writers, including uh, folks like Joey Luce, who who's the famous guy when it comes to the maps uh, with all those teams, and we have other people regional like uh, Jaron Anderson that you that you guys know in particular when it comes to Virginia Tech and ACC hoops. We got Ian Mum. We have uh, new writers such as Cooper Watson, who's been extraordinary for us. And even uh, guys we have for a while, like Brian Morrow and, and Jason Burgess, we've had about a good few dozen writers. And we're always looking to get new people who have an interest in college basketball and a passion for it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a great site. I check in on it all. I check in at all the all the time and I, I i i quite i quite frankly get a chuckle out of the banter going back and forth from you and jaron it, it makes my day I, I get a few chuckles out of that so let's get to it man let's get to this past week in acc bat acc basketball who was your most impressive acc team of the week the floor is yours tristan yeah i i think the easy one was florida state uh two wins over miami who the who was leading the acc and unbeaten at that point early in the week and then a back-and-forth game at Syracuse, who's never easy to beat with their zone. For Seminoles, who's been sort of up and down all season, to just sort of start to get some kind of stability is, is really important, especially 
with the guards, Caleb Mills, who's their leading scorer, but hasn't necessarily been the point guard they needed, as well as freshman Matthew Cleveland, who is by far their most promising of the of the freshman class they have, getting them going and just having a depth overall. It is going to take Florida State to the next level. And right now, after Duke, it's wide open. There, there's no reason why Florida State can't make a case for being the second-best team in the ACC, getting these impressive wins and starting out or 4-2, just a game off of first place, and they have a chance, depending on what happens, to actually end up in first place if things go well for them on Saturday. But I, I think Florida State's the one team that you're sort of starting to see them separate themselves from the middle of the group. That's an outstanding answer, I, I, and it's it's very good insight. I didn't. It, life comes at you fast, man. I didn't. Re, I didn't realize how fast they were changing it up. So I'm, I, 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 we appreciate your insight. All right, thank you, Matthew. Um, uh, Tristan, who who did you have as your most disappointing ACC team of the week? Yeah, this one. This was easy. Uh, Louisville. It's. They had a, such a promising start, 4-1. I, I think a lot of people thought they were sort of punching over their heads at that point, and then things really came down crashing this week, losing in blowout fashion at home to NC State and getting pretty much nothing for everyone but Sidney Curry. And then to make things worse, Sidney Curry got injured in practice on Thursday, so he couldn't go on the road at Pittsburgh, who I think people would say is the worst team in the ACC. Losing to them by double digits and getting pretty much nothing from anyone. I, it, it's one of those losses where people are really going to look at Chris Magnin's like, what are we doing? It, it was, you know, Pitt likes to muck it up, and they nearly beat them when they was at Louisville last time around. But, you know, if you're to Louisville and you're trying to be an NCAA tournament team or at least a respectable contender, you can't lose double digits and give the Pittsburgh Panthers their lone double-digit win of the season and looking, quite frankly, like a wreck at times, shooting 33% from the field, getting, you know, balanced production, but no one starring and seeing guys just... A lot of these players are just struggling right now for Louisville, and they're, they're trending downward quickly. Yeah, a- absolutely, Tristan. And we're going to get more into to Chris Mack later on in the and what's going on at Louisville later in the, in the podcast. Um, but we want to look at this uh, week in the ACC upcoming. Which ACC game are you looking forward to the most uh, in this upcoming week? Yeah, uh, Tuesday we're going to have a big matchup, Duke at Florida State. You know, I talked earlier about Florida State being a team on the rise and starting to show – the potential you know, as a preseason top 20 team, what better way to show it than going up against the number one team in the ACC, Duke, who showed against Miami that they can be beaten in league play and they're not that, you know, they're not that much superior that they're going to run through the league and go 19-1 or 18-2. They're going to take a few losses. And this one against Florida State, who has a lot of momentum, that's, that's one to definitely look for. And – you know, one game and one game I'm attending is uh, Virginia Pitt. The last time these two teams played, uh, UVA needed a fadeaway jumper by Jaden Gartner to win at home over a Pitt squad that didn't have Femi Odakale for that game. He'll be back for this one. Virginia's coming off a loss to Wake Forest, where they've gotten a lot of struggles from Jaden Gartner, who's really been tanking it as of late. That one could be one of those that, just like we saw for Louisville. 
the Cavaliers bubble could be punched if they can't win on the road at Pitt this week. So that's going to be a really interesting one from a bracketology standpoint. All right. Um, which ACC team do you think, um, you know, could be on upset alert next week if they're caught past looking, you know, caught past looking uh, an opponent, you know, maybe in the same way takes a rough loss, like you've already mentioned with Louisville and Pitt, you know, who could, who could be an, uh, an upset team this week? So I kind of reject the premise of that question only because most of these teams don't really can afford to look past anyone. You know, they've all been losing to each other. It's I think the only one that could look ahead and ironically, the game I picked is, is Duke this Saturday against Syracuse at home. You know, Syracuse is a team that can lose to anyone, but because of the lethal shooting they have from Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard and the way their offense is built, they can absolutely make 13 to 15 threes in a game and, and go up and going up against Duke's offense. You know, I, I think even though they're at 500 right now, you still believe that Syracuse is going to find a way to have a resume that puts them in the bubble when it comes to March. And what better way to do that than beat Duke? So if Duke beats Florida State and they sort of get a commanding league in the standings, they might let their guards down a bit and have sort of a letdown game at home. And if the shots can get going for Buddy Beheim and company, I wouldn't be surprised if the Orange gives them a really competitive game because their backs are truly against the wall if they're trying to make a postseason bid. All right. And and we know uh, Syracuse and Duke have had some some great ACC battles since Syracuse has joined the league. That you know, I, I think it's been one of the better, you know, kind of new rivalries of the ACC is Syracuse and Duke. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's very possible to turn into a, a quite competitive game like you've said um tristan talk about the job that steve forbes is doing at wake forest and what uh jim laranaga is doing at miami these two are probably the early front runners for acc coach of the year and in, in, in my opinion yeah so so wake i think steve forbes people had a lot of respect for him come from east tennessee state and believe that he was going to build wake forest to be a contender in the ACC. It helps when you get arguably the biggest impact transfer this offseason, Alondis Williams. He he was a guy who was arguably the fourth or fifth guard at Oklahoma, averaging just six points a game. He figured he'd just be one of the many rotation players that the Deacons were hoping to get something out of. Instead, he turns into a superstar, averaging over 20 a game, having several 30-point games already. And he's given Wake Forest that go-to score and that star player they need to just sort of really be one of the contenders in the conference. And it helps that the other transfers, Jake Laravia from Indiana State and Davian Williamson, who came over with Forbes from East Tennessee State, have also been impactful as well. And even guys like Dallas Walton and Kadeem signed up front, they're not superstars, but they're doing their job up front in center position. And it's given Wake Forest, you know, the depth they needed to compete, and Steve and, and Steve Forbes have always been a good X's and O guy. So now that he got the talent, you're seeing the results there. As for Jim Laranega at Miami, it was interesting because you lose you lose Chris Likes, you lose Matt Cross to Louisville, and arguably they, they've been better. And it helps that you have six year transfer, well actually a seventh year transfer, and Charlie Moore from DePaul and Kansas who's been a really good point guard, allowing Isaiah Wong to play 
more off-ball, which he's comfortable with. Cameron Mcgusty, as a six-year senior, has taken a huge leap to lead them with 18 points a game, and they're getting just enough front-court production to be good. But it's not surprising that these good coaches are doing well now that they got good players that are healthy because uh, Laranaga did not have a lot of health last year, especially after losing Earl Timberlake after seven games before leaving to Memphis. There's finally some health, and there's good production going on, and they're taking advantage and also winning close games to help boost the record. All right, now we're going to go to the kind of the other side of this, and, and we mentioned this earlier about Louisville and Chris Mack. Is, is he starting to feel the hot seat a little bit in Louisville? Um, they got a very frustrated you know, fan base at Louisville. They've fallen way behind Kentucky. Um you know, in-state, they already have losses uh, this year to DePaul and Furman, then the loss to Pittsburgh you mentioned. You know, but they also won against Mississippi State earlier in the year. Um, you know, and, and we expect a lot more out of Louisville in that basketball program. And he looked like a great hire at it, out of Xavier, very successful, you know, there. Um, but what, what's going on at, at Louisville? Is he starting to feel it a little bit? Yeah, he definitely has to. And you could argue that he'd be really be on a hot seat if it wasn't for his first year, which was played way above expectations. But that was largely with Rick Pitino's roster, including Jordan Orr, who became an all-conference player. They haven't made the tournament since then. And really, there's just a lack of identity. You look at this current roster, you have a lot of role players. And Noah Locke being your leading scorer, that, that's concerning. You, you know, he was he he was a solid eleven points per game score at Florida, but he he's not the guy that you want to be your, your leading player. Uh, you, they brought in several transfers like Mason Faulkner late, Jarrett Rest from Marshall. You know Matt Cross is not even getting many minutes anymore, and you bring in Sidney Curry who had a big game, but he's struggling. There's just a lot of role players right now, no stars, and if you don't have stars, even in the ACC. The death can only go so much. Even a game against Pittsburgh, they didn't really have anyone that could go in and be a guy that can give you three, four buckets in a row to cut the deficit. It was just hoping, you know, spread the ball around and hope somebody can make a shot. And this team is absolutely dreadful from deep right now. They're near in the bottom third of the country in three-point shooting, and they just can't get easy buckets. And, you know, they – he had, you know, Coach Mack has a solid recruiting class coming in, but is that going to be a good enough to take what could be a disappointing season because the schedule gets harder for them going forward? You know, they, they still haven't seen Duke or North Carolina yet. And then there's always, and then they're going to have to go up against Virginia and rest of them and a lot of road games. They could really have, they could have a 500 record overall at the end of the year. And I don't know how a fan base who views themselves as one of the top 10 to 20 jobs in the country is going to accept that, especially in a down year like the ACC. All right, Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for the last couple questions in the podcast. Okay, Tristan, you've just been outstanding tonight. You have been an amazing guest. We, we want to have you, we want to have you get on again soon. Your insight's been just terrific. Uh, so, now I'll be a fair. I'll be fair here too. First, uh, the, I thought I, I liked your response for regard, regarding the upset question. I mean, Jeff and I didn't really <laughs> we didn't really think of it until tonight that the premise of that and it's true. Anybody can beat anybody, and I thought that was a really good response. Um, 
the other the other thing here, I'm going to ask you about Virginia Tech, right? I am a Virginia Tech alum, so there is some vested interest here. And I did write this question before Saturday because I didn't think Virginia Tech was going to beat Notre Dame, and they did win. And I was, you know, I was surprised to see the win. I was probably happy to see the win. Uh, but I've been consistent all year. I, and this is just my personal opinion. I've been consistent in all years saying that I don't think the Hokies have ACC level guards. I'm concerned about what we have at, at point point guard at times. I'm concerned what we have at shooting guards at times. And I think you need really big guards to compete in the ACC. I mean, if you remember players like Zabian Dowdell or Jamon Gordon, who played at Tech were you know guys that were six four six five two hundred plus, and I'm and I think at times the Hokies are limited at what they can do offensively. And I'm not and I mean it's a fair point that you brought up earlier that this is a, a weaker ACC and anything can happen on any any night. But I, I my expectations for Virginia Tech were a little higher than they were until I saw the guard play this year. So man, the floor is. Yeah, so I think when looking at Virginia Tech, you'd have to also look at last year when they sort of had the, the big breakout campaign. And you know, looking more into it, I think there's a combination of them really getting boosted from the upset against Villanova to start the season and a COVID, you know, impacted ACC schedule that allowed them to get some wins that they not maybe not necessarily were as good as last year's team. Uh advise and I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about you know you look at Storm Murphy he, he's been solid wait you know from Wofford I think he's been okay not necessarily an ACC starter but he's been okay and, and Naheem Malin you know he's been pretty much as advertised but I think the loss of Tyrese Radford so late in the offseason and not able to get somebody to replace them that was really killer because now you have guys like Hunter Couture and Darius Maddox playing bigger roles that you're just not used to and they're not comfortable with. They're, they have you know their three guard lineups are, are okay, but not but not anything elite. And you're seeing what Joe Bamasil to, to transfer from the Hokies, who's now averaging over 14 a game with George Washington. Maybe had he stayed. In in Radford left, maybe he could have been the guy that sort of emerges as another double digit score for the Hokies. But the the roster is okay, and I think you know Kevin Luma is fantastic. Justin Mutz is a really good you know Swiss Army knight that can do a little bit of everything. But there's no bench, and you have starters in Couture and Murphy that if they're not hitting three pointers they're not having much of an impact. And, and you're seeing that so far in ACC play. And I think that's probably going to continue. And it will be interesting what they do because they're going to lose Aluma and Mutz and Murphy. So they're going to have to retool and rebuild and hope that this upcoming recruiting class, as well as some other potential gem transfers they could possibly get, can sort of keep them in contention. Otherwise, they're probably going to have to take a, a – a, a, they're probably going to have to regress a bit. I think it's a fair statement because I've been, I mean, I've been pretty consistent saying that like Rodney Rice is a good example. He's coming in next year from DeMatha. I think there's a very good chance that he could start next year because he's very, he's 6'5", he's 200 plus. He's in the vein of those guards I mentioned earlier. And I, I think you're 
You're absolutely spot on. You're absolutely spot on. I mentioned, I blogged about this at All Sports Discussion. Jeff remembers this, where I, you know, losing Tyrese Radford, who would go to the rack and get rebounds, would shoot, would play defense. Losing Joe Bomasil to George Washington, who is just an automatic scorer. And and you know who we didn't, oh, and who we didn't talk about, right? Uh, Right, right, Tristan and Jeff, is Jalen Cohn. I forgot about him in that blog post. You know, so there's three, there's three guards that are not there that were, that, you know, that could have had a, you know, could have had a huge impact in your, and you absolutely nailed it. You've got guys, nailed it, Tristan. You got guys that are playing roles that maybe they weren't quite ready for yet. So I think that that's just outstanding. That's outstanding analysis. Uh, next question here, Tristan, this is, it. this is a segment we always love to do with our podcasters. What's on your mind? The floor is yours. Anything that you want to. Yeah. So I, I guess I, since I'm, you know, representing Pittsburgh, I have to talk about the Panthers. And it, it's been it was a rough start to the season, losing Ithiel Horton and Nike Sabande, likely for the season, who are the team's only three-point shooters. Pitt had a really rough, rough con- uh, non-conference, losing by double digits to the Citadel and Monmouth and UMBC. It was a really tough blow, and it looked like Jeff Capel was done. But the Panthers have been much more competitive in, in league play. Barely, you know, losing by game-winning baskets to UVA, Notre Dame, and recently winning two or three against Boston College and a top hundred team in Louisville. There's there's a potential for Coach Capel to keep his job afterwards. I think there's a lot of fight from this team. You're seeing big man John Hughley emerge as an all-conference caliber player. Jamari Spurton, a transfer from Texas Tech, has been absolutely fantastic, as well as the athletic wing, a uh, big man from Stony Brook, Mogee. There, there, there's some interesting pieces that Pitt has. And assuming no one leaves, which, you know, not, you can't assume anything in, in the Jeff Cape Ware and P- Pittsburgh, and they can get a really good power forward transfer to replace Gee in the offseason, the Panthers could, make, could take a legitimate step to be in a tournament contender next year because you're, you're seeing the foundation built on defense and toughness and sort of, you know, willingly muck it up and make it ugly. And you saw it against Louisville that teams just aren't necessarily able to blow by the Panthers. And they're playing hard, and it'll be interesting what they do against Virginia. Have, have you know, outside of Duke and North Carolina, none of the other teams have firepower that's going to blow them out the water. It's going to be a very interesting couple of months to see what the Panthers do as a program because – the ACC is down, and they could get six wins, but is that necessarily going to be enough to save his job after you know a brutal last two months of last season, well going into the offseason, how people were very much down and losing a couple of commits in Jalen Hood, Shafino, and Judah Mintz? You know, it'll be interesting to see if Pittsburgh's fight and, and their their competitive play will be enough to people to want to give Coach Capel another year. That's just outstanding analysis. Uh, we're, we 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 want to have you come on the show again, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, Jeff, you're up, man. Open microphone. Yeah, one thing I want to uh, get into real quick is uh, on Friday, you know, the ACC and Jim Phillips went into why they were against, uh, you know, college football playoff expansion, and you know they got some pushback like, oh, why are they trying to hold hold this up but i am 100 percent on board with what they're doing uh 
you know, the ACC doesn't have a ton of leverage on the on the college football landscape at the moment, and also with with ESPN. But one of the things they can have some leverage, you know, is to come out and 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 uh, put some time into you know before this expanded playoff happens. And right now they came out uh, as against it, which I'm sure was really disappointing to to ESPN who wants to get this deal done as soon as possible and just move on. Um, he's, uh, Jim Phillips said that this wasn't about Notre Dame. Um, I would be kind of hard to believe that there wasn't something to that, uh, about Notre Dame as, you know, Jack Swarbrick was part of the committee that had the expanded playoffs already set in motion and had a place for Notre Dame. Now, all of a sudden, um, you know, that's, that's out the window and we're still looking at another four, four, I think 2026, another five years, uh, four or five years of having the four-team playoff. So, and then, then uh, included with that is all of the NIL stuff, all the transfer stuff going on in the background that, you know, I agree with Phillips that you, it's time to kind of sit back and, and, and assess what's going on before an, uh, expanding the uh, playoffs. And, and also with part of that is it's going to allow the the playoffs to go to open market uh, rather than just be negotiated with ESPN. And that's going to, you know, for, for a short term, you know, delay in this, that's going to probably increase the revenue possibilities with expanding the playoffs by going to open market tremendously uh, rather than working out a deal now. So that that's something that came out Friday and and I think the ACC has made the made the right move you know and if ESPN smart and they want to get the deal done and get the ACC on board you know all they got to do is make a phone call to the ACC and say hey we're going to renegotiate your current television contract for x amount of dollars and you know money talks and it, it might get done a lot quicker so uh, I think you know Jim Phillips we talked about it earlier Matthew you know what are the things that he could do early in his tenure that that would give, um, you know, ACC fans, hey, this guy can get it done. Well, he got Comcast. You know, it wasn't him personally, but the Comcast deal did get done. Took a little longer than expected, but he got done. And and now he's, you know, kind of putting the ACC front and center here. Is like, hey, we're one of we're one of the Power Five, and we've got influence, and and we're gonna, you know, make a statement about how this this is gonna work. And you know, you're you're not gonna just ramrod it through without uh, really looking at all the particulars in this. So I, right now I'm, I'm behind. I'm absolutely behind what they've done. And I think Jim Phillips and the ACC have done the right thing here. Very good take. Very good take. I'm going to, I'm going to use my, my open microphone to ask Tristan another question. And this will give you an opportunity to once again, Tristan, to plug anything you're doing. And if you have any special features, Tristan, that you're working on at busting brackets right now, we want to hear them. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, you, you know, you, I usually every one to two weeks because I'm covering local programs. I also want to cover the conferences they have. So I'm going to have, you know, ACC Atlantic 10 and Horizon League power rankings coming up soon. We'll be really interesting to see where I put teams three through 15 because you can make a case for any of them. I'm also working on not only just regular game previews of some of the top games, but also looking towards uh, you know a special project about 
what the impact of uh, realignment has done to sort of the famous uh, rivalries in, in college basketball, especially ones involving the Big East where, you know, programs like Pitt, Syracuse, and them have usually faced Georgetown and UConn. So you see what the landscape has been affected by with rivalry games and how, you know, with the non-conference going towards more neutral site games for the quad one effects and, you know, teams not wanting to do home and homes much anymore, which former special games that we haven't been able to get much in recent past and might not get too much more in the future if, if scheduling continues to be impacted the way it is. I'm going to ask you one more question, Tristan, uh, to, and give me your quick lightning round answer. Why can't Georgetown be like Villanova? Because they're too concerned about staying in family than they are winning, regardless of who the head coach is. That's um, that's that's the right question. That's the perfect analysis, and that's a, <laughs> that's the perfect way to close this podcast. Tristan, thank you so much for coming in the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We loved having you come on this show. We love having fresh voices come on this show, and you provided outstanding analysis here. I mean, you're one of the great guests we've had here in this sh in this short new year that started, and we would love to have you come on the show again some sometime. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to come on anytime. All right, have a great week, guys. Thanks, Tristan. Thanks, guys.